Hi, and welcome to Beyond Breathing, the podcast for everyone who breathes and sleeps. I'm your host, Lancette, and I want to thank Sierra Sleep, Airway, and Wellness Center for sponsoring this episode. We have an amazing speaker today. Our speaker today is Anne Rice. She is one of my favorite writers and speakers in the U.S. on the mind-body-mouth connection. Anne Rice is here today to talk to us about sleep architecture and brain health. She has expertise in research, writing, and working in preventive neurology, connecting oral health to cognitive and brain health. Anne has been a clinical dental hygienist for over 30 years. She's a speaker, writer, and consultant. She created Oral Systemic Seminars in 2017, which she now devotes her time, focus, and study primarily to dementia prevention and sleep hygiene. She is a preceptor of the Bale Donine Method for Cardiovascular Disease Prevention, a certified dementia practitioner, and in 2020, Anne became certified as a longevity specialist with the Alzheimer's Research and Prevention Foundation, which she has now developed curriculum and presented for. She is also a fellow with the American Academy of Oral Systemic Health. Anne is a featured author podcast guest, advisory board member, um, and so much more. Um, I am so excited to have you here today, and thank you so much. I know your bio goes on and on and on, and there's so many more things that I think people need to know about you, so I'm going to go ahead and put those in the show notes. But welcome to the podcast, Anne. Thanks. I am, I'm really thrilled to be here. Podcasts are always so fun, and you are a delight, so this is going to be a good ride for us. All right. So let's just kind of start off with the basics. How specifically does poor quality sleep affect the brain? Um, if you, let's just take um, blood and oxygen. So your brain uses 20% of your oxygen, 20% of your blood flow. Say that you have sleep apnea, so you're not getting the oxygen, right, to the brain that you need. You think about this as a stroke. When we lose oxygen, we're going to lose um, parts of the brain, which in four to six minutes, you'll have um, different areas of the brain uh, that dies. But even those little intermittent hypoxia events, uh, that's going to have an effect on white matter in your brain. I'm going to open this up just a little bit. You have gray matter and white matter in your brain. White matter is the tissue that kind of forms the connections between brain cells. Uh, and the rest of the nervous system. So you can have white matter hyperintensities that kind of show the extent of damage of lack of oxygen and blood flow in the brain. If you had, say, a 10% decrease in deep sleep, you're going to see an increase in those white matter hyperintensities. Um, that could be affecting you as looking as somebody as aged almost two and a half years older. When we add up those white matter hyperintensities, it slows the brain's ability to process information, to pay attention, to remember. So low level of those white um, matter issues is connected also to mental health issues, depression, anxiety, and irritability. So we use a lot of oxygen, a lot of blood flow. And as we know, the blood is getting the oxygen to your brain if you are not sleeping, if you have apneic events, but also we have fragmented sleep. So what happens when we sleep? We have slow wave or deep sleep, and then we have REM, which is dreaming. 
If you're not getting your slow wave sleep, multitude of things can happen. In Alzheimer's disease, for instance, the hallmark for that is amyloid beta plaques and tau tangles. When we sleep, slow wave sleep, we remove those amyloid plaques and tau tangles in the brain. You don't get slow wave sleep or deep sleep. You're not removing that debris out of your brain. One night of bad sleep not only decreases the removal of it, but it actually increases those plaques by about 5%. What's unfortunate is as we age, we are all struggling, right, to get our deep sleep. Um, sleep is critically important to decrease inflammation, right? We know that when you're not sleeping, your cardiovascular risk, your blood pressure goes up, your heart rate is going up as well. Then in an apneic event, you're not breathing. So it's that fight or flight where your sympathetic nervous system is just blowing it up in your body. Does that make sense? That does. So tell me a little bit about, a little bit more about, we talked about apnea a little bit. Talk, talk to us about what does fragmented sleep mean and what does fragmented sleep, what are the effects on our brain? Right. What is fragmented so, sleep and what are the effects on our brain? So you're not able, we have different sleep architecture. We have a flow, an ebb and flow of our sleep. We go through four different stages we go through non-REM sleep, so you're just falling, just falling asleep. You know that part where you jerk? It's called myoclonus, where you're just like that little at the very beginning. Then we're going through a pattern, and then we're going to get into deep sleep, which should be about 20% of our sleep. And there's this cycle that we go through. Then we're going to pull that back around, and then we're going to get REM sleep, your dream sleep. All parts of sleep is very important. But if you break that up, so during my first initial part and it's fragmented, now I'm going to start over and then I'm going to have to get back into our slow wave sleep. You know, as, as I said, as we age, that deep sleep is very elusive, lots of body functions that are contributing to that. But if you're constantly waking up, you then have to get into the pattern again and you're not able to get um, the pattern as it should be. So in the early part of your night, um, say you're 10 to two in the morning, if you're a 10 to sixer, that's going to be more of your deep sleep. Um, and then not that you don't get that in the early morning hours, but primarily it's going to be then. And then your dreaming sleep, which is critically important as well, is going to be kind of that later half in the night. So you're saying we, we need to sleep enough hours. We need to, make sure that we have sleep, stable sleep cycles that we have, that we spend enough time in all of these proper cycles, right? To get the most amount of health benefits. Right. What are some reasons why people might not be able to go through all their sleep cycles or have good, healthy sleep cycles? Oh, well, sleep apnea, right? What about somebody that has restless leg, which you might, people might see that or have that, the listeners at home, um, lots of different things will wake you up in the middle of the night. Light will wake you up in the middle of the night. Noise will wake you up in the middle of the night. A high sugar right before you go to bed, there's going to be a fluctuation in your sugar levels. Perhaps it's going to wake you up at three in the morning because you've kind of turned hypoglycemic. There's a, a million really different stress, <laughs> anxiety, all of the, all those different things um, that 
can contribute obviously to fragmented sleep. We know that women um, in menopause going through that transition and postmenopausal women have issues with fragmented sleep. We know that estrogen is the trigger in our brains um, to help us get to sleep. Well, our estrogen's dropping like a rock. So it is not helping us get triggered into those, uh, into the sleep. Can you tell us the link about fragmented sleep and cognitive decline? Could this, these interruptions in our sleep cycles also be a red flag or an early symptom of something else besides sleep apnea or menopause? Right. And so that's what I think is really important that we do everyone and the journal of neurology says this, everyone should have a sleep test and the prevention of cognitive decline. And that's not just having one at 20 years old. That is a consistent throughout your life, especially in this menopause thing for women. Um, you might not have had airway sleep issues before, but you do now. So we need to rule out sleep apnea, but there are plenty of people that have different issues. They're not even able to get into the deep sleep. The architecture is different. We have lots of um, up and down curves and movement during our sleep, which is too much for today. But what we also know with cognitive decline is that can be fragmented sleep, a symptom of cognitive deficits. So if you have gone through, I don't have apnea, I, we've done this, we've done that, and we're not able to cure this issue of fragmented sleep or poor sleep, those amyloid plaques, tau tangles, that neurodegeneration, that could be happening that is in increasing these fragmented sleep. So I think as a provider, as um, any of the listeners, we go through all of the, it's not this, this isn't working, we're moving on to move into perhaps what's called cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, this is to get rid of the drugs, right? We, we know that there are such rewards with, with a proper cognitive behavioral therapist. They can do work wonders uh, in helping people get better sleep. Now that's taking away any of the other illnesses that might contribute to that. But I think we should really explore all the different issues to help us get to sleep. So if our listeners have never had a sleep test before, what would be the, what direction, where would you point somebody if they don't know what their sleep looks like, or maybe they know that they're having sleep issues and want to talk to somebody, like what is the right direction or team do you think for people to kind of start with? Is it medical? Is it dental? Is it both? It's but anyone. Um, I would hope that physicians, if you came in and said, and this gets tricky, right? You go to your physician and you say, I'm not sleeping. There was that long period of time that they wrote a prescription for you, which is going to exacerbate the problem. Those are hypnotic. So when you are given medications, you do not get into your deep sleep. You're asleep, granted, okay? But you're not getting into the architecture, the way that you need to in deep sleep and then going through REM sleep. There's a lot of things um, with we see with marijuana that mutes REM sleep. All parts of sleep is important. So going to your physician, if their first answer is, here's a prescription, you might want to rethink that because that might not be the right now. Some medications are necessary in certain patients. I'm never saying that it's not, but that's not your first answer. So if your physician goes that direction, 
maybe you revisit a different one or you find someone that can give you a home sleep test. If you do have a dental home, you can always ask that provider, can you uh, put me in line with somebody that can do a home sleep test? Whether they do it in that practice, they know somebody in the community that can get them that sleep test. And as I said, in prevention of cognitive deficits, we recommend these sleep tests. Uh, they did some amazing research. I think it was about 140 subjects. They had no dementia. They didn't complain of being tired. They were just wonderful. They, when they tested them for airway issues, all of them were either mild, moderate, or severe sleep apnea. Then they did MRIs. Then they looked at the brains. They are not forgetting anything right now, but they did have more white hyperintensities, these areas of dead tissue and those amyloid plaques. So that's where we look at this as a prevention strategy. We want to find this out 20 to 30 years before those symptoms are going to manifest. Well, I'm so glad you touched on preventive neurology or just the word prevention in general. I know you've been a clinical dental hygienist for over 30 years, so obviously your education and foundation of your your perspective as a healthcare provider for three decades has been all focused on prevention. We know that the medical and dental world is kind of slow to change and slow to evolve and slow to want to take on new things. So let's just dream a little bit. Um, <laughs> what does the the dental office of the future look like in your ideal world? Oh my goodness. Um, well, and we kind of hit on this, which I don't know if this is favorable, but I do think that for preventive specialists, if we're preventing periodontal disease or even treating say gum disease, um, that's a medical, that's, that's a, a medical um, procedure. So we do have to incorporate medicine. So when we know this about airway, this isn't just, that's a medical situation. That is not breathing. That is increasing cardiovascular risk. It's dysregulating um, your glycemic control. It's all physical body issues with this airway. So I think that we have little, I don't know, in a perfect world. Um, I have tried to think about this for my own self. Could I do this? But we are medical and dental integrated together. So we do have people on speed dial. We have neurologists, we have functional medicine, um, the cognitive behavioral therapist that I talked about, um, the, the group that I have had um, in preventive neurology that I've worked with have a lot of people involved in the prevention of Alzheimer's disease in particular, because the disease, cognitive decline and Alzheimer's disease is what we call heterogeneous. So it's a little bit of this, it's a little bit of that. Sleep comes into play, sugar comes into play, cardiovascular disease comes into play. So it takes a village in that prevention. So I think in a dental practice, we need to really look at ourselves as healthcare providers, right? Um, it is not just slaying the bacteria. It and if you try to slay those periodontal pathogens and you have airway issues, good luck. Because if you are mouth breathing, which gets us into nasal breathing versus mouth breathing, um, you're having a more difficult time. You're not able to treat that disease because of airway. Airway affects every system that we have. There isn't a system that's not affected. The brain, the heart, all parts. The mouth. <laughs> so, right. There, there's the mouth. Yes, of course. So. 
Did that kind of answer that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this medical dental integration, I think for most of us that are looking at brain health, airway health, oral health, um, you know, we have to start putting the body back together as a whole entire system instead of breaking it apart into individual pieces, right? right? Yeah, yeah. So I guess before we end up, first of all, I would love to have you back. You have so much knowledge (laughs) and things that we did not even touch on today. Um, You know, maybe we can get you back and talk about our, you know, parasympathetic nervous system or different things like that. But before we, before we hop off, I know we have listeners, I think right now in like 13 different countries, thousands of people listening to you today. For those people out there, they're listening because they want to know more about how they can, you know, take things into their own hands. How can they know more about overall health, especially brain health? For our listeners who want to know more and seek solutions for their health, what are one or two things that listeners can start to do immediately to improve their oral health, their overall health, their breathing, their sleep, and their cognitive, their brain health, their cognitive function? Oh my gosh, just a few things. Um, Let's just unpack the sleep real quick. So your room needs to be dark. Your room needs to be cold. You don't need to be doing um, video games and on your phone right before you go to bed because your brain is like totally stimulated and going. Take those 20 minutes. Work on nasal breathing that's going to allow those blood vessels to widen, supporting oxygen circulation. We're going to drive up the parasympathetic. We're going to calm ourselves down. um, Is going to help that oxygen uptake into the brain, right? It's blood flow and oxygen flow. Um, And also a very quiet room. We're lucky I live out where we don't have a lot of noises, but a lot of your listeners will probably be in the middle of a city um, and get the earplugs. So you want dark, quiet, watch your sugar right before bed and regulate your sugar all during the day. You don't need to have spikes, right? We need it all regulated. That sometimes um, contributes to people not sleeping. Overall, um, for brain health, it is a milieu of different things. So um, exercise, which is going to help. And this isn't running a marathon for heaven's sakes. This is just regular exercises, brisk walking, which is going to do a couple of things, right? You're increasing your oxygen. You're increasing your blood flow. It's going to help you sleep. It does a, a multitude of, of things. Um, there's preventive neurology. Dr. Richard Isaacson, who I've worked with, have lots of different papers and he's on YouTube and has not lots of different easy things for a patient to do. Um, what was that? The other part of your question. Um, there are some podcasts, things to listen to. Dr. Andrew Huberman um, has great different ideas, especially with with sleep, um, their functional medicine. Andrew Weil about breathing. There's a breathing technique before you go to bed. It's four, seven, eight. Inhale for four. Hold for seven. Exhale for eight. We're going to slow down our breathing. We don't want to hypervent. We're going to hypo just a little bit to drive ourselves down and increase that parasympathetic nervous system. Um, yeah, Oral breathing. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. Lots of do I get into all of that? Get regular visits when it comes to you always want to breathe through your nose. We don't want to grow that bacteria in our mouths. We're going to keep our lips together. Um, and you know just better than I do myofunctional therapy. If you do have um, 
for habits that we all get into, whether we had allergies. I'm from the Midwest. You grow up with allergies, and then sometimes we don't grow out of our technique for breathing. So that can be really easy. Um, yeah, for oral health, and this is a whole nother discussion, we do know that the periodontal pathogens, the bacteria in your mouth, can stimulate neuroinflammation in the brain. We do think those pathogens actually get into the brain. It disrupts something called the blood-brain barrier, which is this semi-permeable membrane, as does airway, right? That keeps errant pathogens and toxins out of the brain. We know sleep-disordered breathing disrupts that high. Blood pressure does. So do those pathogens treat your, if you have oral disease, and that will help your brain as well. But like I said, for preventive neurology, it is a host of different things. So a little bit of this and a little bit of that throughout your lifetime, and you'll get the rewards later. Oh, thank you so much. And uh, this whole topic of preventive neurology is so fascinating to me. I, I would say the majority of the patients I see at my airway practice are people coming to us. They want to preserve their brain health. They yep. do not want to lose their memory. They do not want to be a burden on their families. They have watched other people, you know, with cognitive decline and the quality of life that they experience. And I know that we can help so many people. Thank you for sharing the message about the importance of getting tested, get sleep tested, know your numbers. You know, in my ideal world um, for medicine and dentistry is that every person, regardless of age, is offered a sleep test once a year or more often, right? Right. Um, we cannot know things if we don't have the data. We don't know the numbers. So thank you so much for supporting something that I feel really passionate about too. So, and thank you so much. You are kind, you are smart, you are a progressive thinker. And I know that with people like you, we're going to be able to move the needle with health in this country. I would like to give you guys some information. If you would like to connect with Anne, you can reach her at her website, anneorice at gmail.com. A-N-N-E-O-R-I-C-E at gmail.com. I will post that in the show notes too. She is a very, very well-published uh, researcher and writer, so you can find her articles. She's available for large and small speaking events in the medical and dental arena. She's extremely talented, and I encourage you all to reach out to her for more information and follow the great work she's doing, and, and we'd love to have you back. Thank you for being here. Oh, you're welcome. I'd love to come back. This is very fun. This is great. All right. Thanks. Until next time. Bye-bye.